This is the Christian Life Center podcast. Here at CLC, we are messengers of hope, where we believe in taking God's message of hope everywhere we go to everyone we meet. From wherever you are, be encouraged by this week's message. How's everyone doing? How y'all doing? Yeah, yeah, this is the house of the Lord. This is the day that the Lord has made. Right? And we shall rejoice and be glad in it. As you can see, I am not Pastor Tom. Uh, Pastors Tom and Candy are actually with uh, Convoy of Hope. You know, Convoy of Hope is one of the world's largest missions organization that deals with um, natural uh, disaster reliefs um, and chaos and um, um, pivotal moments. And so they're meeting with them because Pastors Tom and Candy are the missions directors for the Penn Florida district. And so they're there looking at strategy and initiatives of how uh, CLC can partner. So they uh, send their greetings to you as I stand in their stead. We have been in a sermon series called Live It Out. Live It Out. What we found is that many believers um, are not living out their faith. They, they talk about it, they, they sing about it in the services, but you're not actually seeing them live it out in their day-to-day life. The Christian faith is not something that we just keep in our heads. It's an experiential transformation that takes place in our lives. It's supposed to permeate every aspect of the human experience. It's supposed to permeate us and translate into a life that's fully transformed unto the Lord. It's not just in our minds that it takes place, but it's supposed to be expressed in how we live life and how we treat one another and how we serve one another and how we show up on the job and how we show up in our homes. It's supposed to take over every aspect of our lives. Jesus said in John 17, 3, eternal life is knowing God including God the Son, Jesus Christ. He did not mean that eternal life was knowing about God. It's not about reading many books about God or going to seminars that that talks about God. Jesus was talking about firsthand experiential knowledge, which comes from relationship with Jesus Christ. We come to truly know God as we experience him in us, through us, and around us. We are to taste church and see that he is good we're supposed to experience God many have grown up attending church they have grown up hearing about God but they do not have a personal relationship there's not a dynamic growing ongoing relationship with the Lord they haven't tasted and experienced him they don't hear him speak for themselves They don't know of any idea of his will for their lives. They they don't have a first-hand encounter with the love of God. They have no sense of divine purpose for their lives. They may know a lot about God theologically, but not relationally. There is no experiential knowledge of him. Truly knowing God only comes through experiencing him, yes, through his word, as we live it out personally, and relationally our faith is not a religion this is not a religion church it's about relationship as followers of Christ the God of all creation seeks relationships with you and with me those that are created in his image he's a personal God a relational father who wants us to know him deeply and experience him daily listen listen what God says Jeremiah 31 3 it's not in your notes it's not in your outline matter of fact those that are watching online forgive me you make sure you have your app your notes as well as those that are in the room you can get the notes um, fill in the blanks and things of that nature on our app and so if that's convenient for you you can do so because I'll be reading a lot of scriptures today God says in Jeremiah 31 3 we're talking about a God that pursues relationship with his children I have loved you with an everlasting love 
Therefore, I have continued to extend faithful love to you. This is what God says to us. Over and over again, we see that God pursues a love relationship with us. We look at Hosea, the prophet Hosea. God tells this man, this righteous man, this prophet, to go and find himself a harlot and marry a prostitute. God is trying to show us something. Hosea goes and he finds Gomer and he marries Gomer. He takes care of Gomer. He loves Gomer. He gives her his name. He protects her. He provides for her. Everything. They end up having children together. And Gomer is under the protection of her husband, Hosea. Until one day she goes back to selling herself sexually. Hosea is looking for his wife and she's out in the dread light district. Giving herself sexually to all these men and she's a married woman with her husband and here's what God tells Hosea go and get her pursue her go after her Hosea shamefully has to walk through these crowds of men who has been with his wife and what does he have to do he has to buy her back the mother of his children the wife, the, the woman that he's loved, cherished, taken care of. He has to buy her back. And she comes back to him. And guess what she does? She goes back again. And God says, we're like that. He pursues us. He pursues a love relationship with us. And we keep going back. We keep going back to the things that he's delivered us from. He's taken us in. He's taken care of us. He's loved us. He's given us his name. And yet we keep going back to the things that he delivers us from. God is constantly pursuing us when we do not pursue him. He goes after us even when we do not go after him. Here's what the scripture says. He first loved us. When your mind wasn't on him. You were doing your own, come on, I know we're in church, but we can be honest, right? You were doing your own thing and God pursued you. It wasn't about your righteousness. It wasn't about how many scriptures you knew. It wasn't about how much knowledge you had in prayer. He loved you sacrificially and he pursues you. It was Jesus who pursued Paul on the road to Damascus, was it not? While he was persecuting the Jesus followers. He pursued Peter after Peter denied him, not once, not twice, but three times. And after they sinned grossly, he pursues Adam and Eve hiding in the garden. He's a God who pursues us. And if that wasn't enough, when Jonah was running from him, he pursues him at the bottom of the belly of a fish, at the bottom of the ocean, and pursues him there. He's a God who is constantly pursuing us. But not only does God pursue us for relationship, he invites us to become involved with his agenda, with his activity with his mission I'm amazed at how God used ordinary people like you and me to do extraordinary things I'm amazed how God saves us and put his power on the inside of us and I know people look at you and they think oh you're great now but you remember when when you were lost, when some of us was strung out and doing all sorts of stuff, but the pursuing love of Jesus Christ comes us and finds us at the bottom of the oceans of life and puts his spirit inside of us and invites us to join him in doing extraordinary. Y'all with me this today? Y'all with me? Listen, I wasn't feeling good. Let me tell y'all. I woke up today, I told Elena, I'm not feeling good. I, I don't know what's going on with me. I woke up three, four o'clock in the morning and I just, just wasn't feeling well, my body and all that. And I just started praying this morning. I said, I don't care how sick I am. God, I'm going to preach this word. Put it like fire in my bones. Let me deal with the sickness afterwards. Amen. 
He pursues us and then he invites us into partnership with him. He invited Abraham into partnership that the nations of the earth might be blessed through him. He invited Moses to deliver a nation from bondage. He invited Noah to save mankind from extinction. He invited Esther to save her people from annihilation. And he invited 12 disciples to turn the world upside down with the good news of Jesus Christ. He is constantly inviting us to join him. He's an active God, moving in the earth, and he looks for one. Who can I show myself strong and mighty on their behalf? This is the God that we serve. We look at these individuals and we elevate them. This is what we do. We read about them, but all of them were ordinary people. There was nothing extraordinary about them. God just invited them to go into partnership in what he was doing. It's at their surrender to God's invitation that they get to experience the extraordinary. The outcome is what we typically exalt. We read about the outcome and we typically exalt the person rather than the God who initiated the invitation. If it wasn't for God's initiation, there would be no Noah to talk about. If it wasn't for God who invited Moses, we wouldn't have a Moses to talk about. But we exalt them in such a way and we say, oh, I could never be like Esther. Or I could never be like Elijah who prayed for the heavens to shut up. And it shut up for three years and there was a famine in the land and no water came down. Put the key in his pocket and went about his business. And then after three years, he prayed that the heavens would be open and it would begin to rain. And we think that, oh, Elijah was great. No, no, no. God is great. And he invited Elijah to come with him, to partner with him, to do great and mighty things. Can I get an amen? And the same God that Elijah served is the same God that we serve. He is an extraordinary God that invites you and I to do extraordinary things. Amen? We exalt them and we forget about God. But James tells us that Elijah was a human like us. There was nothing significant except he trusts God. I don't want to get stuck up here. I don't want to get stuck in all of this because today we're going to be talking about experiencing God. That's, that's, that's the title of today's message. And I am going to talk about what does it mean to experience God? Um, how do we experience God? But then I'm going to talk about the hindrances that blocks us from experiencing God. But if I get stuck at the top, I'm not gonna get enough time to talk through the hindrance. So when y'all see me getting stuck, just say, move on, Pastor Nadine, move on. Girl. What does it mean to experience God? Let's pray. Father, in the mighty name of Jesus. Oh, Daddy, we desire you. We desire to live the life that you called us to live, God. We're tired of going to the bottom of the oceans of life. We're tired of doing our own thing. Lord, if there's more for us like you truly say, then we want to experience the more. Lord, don't allow the things in life to block us, to rob us from our God experiences in life. Today, I pray that you would pierce our hearts with this message. That we would walk out of this place, that people that are watching online will, will move from, will click off from watching, and they will be uh, looking attentively for the next move of God. So that they can partner with you, Lord. Lord, we just don't want to know about you. We want to experience you. In Jesus' name, God's people believe that and said, Amen. Amen. What does it mean? The dictionary defines experience as a verb to participate in or undergo, to be emotionally or aesthetically moved by, to learn by experience. To experience God simply means to participate in the nature of God, being moved by him and learning of him by familiarity. It's not, experience God is not about how many verses you have memorized. It's not how many theological concepts you have mastered. Experiencing God is not a doctrine. You cannot have a relationship with a doctrine. 
This is not what we're talking about. Experiencing God is about intimacy to the, with God to the degree that it is visible in your life. It's not just God in your heart or in your head, but it's a lifestyle. It's God permeating your life to the extent that you partner with his activities. Let's look at the apostle Peter talking about experiencing God. This is not in your notes. Okay, so I'm going to read it real quick. Luke chapter 5. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the Sea of Galilee, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Verse 4. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we worked all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, in other words, nevertheless, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled the boat, both the boat so full that it began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' feet and said, go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will be a fisher of men. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything. Left everything and followed Jesus. When you experience God, it's not an emotional experience. It's more than coming to an altar. It's not a moment, but it's a lifelong journey of your life fully submitted to God. Peter experienced God in his life in such a way that it altered the trajectory of his life. You cannot experience God and remain the same. It changes, listen, it changes you from the core, from the inside out. Listen, before I met the Lord, I was, I was an angry person. I was, I was filled with hate. I was bitter. Abuse after abuse. I was involved in gangs and sitting in that prison cell when, when I encountered him. Listen, I haven't been the same since. It changes who you are. You, you can't go back. Listen, you can try to go back to who you were, but there's something on the inside of you that keeps pulling you forward. That thing is Jesus. And the purpose is that, okay, I told y'all, tell me, don't get stuck. Move on. Y'all got to help me. What are the outcome? What are the results when you experience God? Whew. If I'm going to experience God, what, what, what should be the outcome of a person that experienced God? Because you could sit here and you can tell me, well, I've experienced God. Uh, yeah, I've, I've, I've felt him. I, I, I. Okay, never mind. <laughs> what are the outcomes? When you experience God, you experience spiritual purpose. Somebody say purpose. Purpose means the reason for which something is done or created. The reason for which something exists. Our purpose does not exist to get what we want. Our purpose is not about achieving a desire. Rather, purpose is about serving. It's serving others for something far greater than yourself. The purpose for the pew in which you sit on, for those of us that are in the room, you know what the purpose is? It's to serve you so that you can do what? Sit. On it right anything that you're using is a purpose for you to serve you that is our purpose Peter's experience with Jesus activated purpose on his life he fell at Jesus feet and what did Jesus do he affirmed him and called him to a greater purpose Peter from now on you're gonna fish for men when you experience God it activates his purpose in your life 
I had no desire to be a preacher. Can you tell? No desire. You know what I wanted to be? Let me tell y'all what I I wanted to be um, a news anchor woman. You know, you sit on the couch, you interview the people back and forth. What was her name? Katie Court? Court? Yeah, I saw her. I was like, man, I could Barbara Walters. I could do that. Oprah Winfrey. I could, I, then I wanted to be a, like a sports journalist. You know, I wanted to ask LeBron the questions nobody wants to ask him because they're afraid of him. I'm not scared of LeBron. <laughs> but when you experience God, it activates purpose on your life. And the purpose is activate, is not to serve you. It's not about you. Y'all not helping me. Y'all supposed to tell me, move, move on. It activates purpose on your life. There's a businessman, right? There's this businessman. I'm already running out of time, but it's okay. Hallelujah. This businessman gives his life to the Lord. He's in, true story, he's in a pharmaceutical industry big guy. He knows he's in contact with all the top pharmaceutical companies in the United States, right? This guy. While he's working, he feels a tug on, he gives his life to the Lord and he feels a tug on the inside. This is years ago when the AIDS um, epidemic was on an all-time high. And he felt this tug that, because in Africa, people were dying by the hundreds of thousands from AIDS. So he felt this tug that Okay, I have all these pharmaceutical contacts. I know how to do, create the drug to help them, and they don't have to die. I, I, it, so he went to his pastor and said, do you think God is calling me to go do something? So he explains it to his pastor, and the pastor says to him, he says, I want to go over there to Africa. I want to start some plants, and I want to hire the people, the natives, so that they can work on the plant and provide them the drug so they don't have to die. And he says to the, the pastor says to him, he says, if you do that in one country in Africa, all the countries in Africa is going to be calling you. So are you prepared for that? And the guy says, well, I don't know. He, and, the, and the pastor says, that sounds about like God. Purpose begins to activate in your life. This man goes and he begins to be, build all these plants. So many lives were impacted. So many lives were changed. When you experience God, it activates purpose. I just want to ask somebody in here, what's your purpose? You don't have to answer because sometimes we don't know, right? And so we're going to talk about how do we discover that. But sometimes we don't know what the purpose is. But you know there's something more than how you're living right now. There's something beating on the inside of you. I mean, I, it does. Somebody um, sent me. I have a podcast, and somebody sent me a message. They said, "Well, I'm 53, so I, I don't know. I guess my purpose. There's no purpose for me. Listen, purpose is not age bound. There's no limitation on purpose. Um, um, was it Caleb who says I'm 80 years old and I'm stronger than I was back then? Listen, you cannot confine God to your age. Don't confine him to your gender. We can't put God in a box. He's bigger than the boxes that we create. We just got to yield when he beckons us and invites us to go deeper into purpose. Somebody say amen. amen. We experience purpose when we experience God. Okay, I got stuck there. Experience spiritual identity because y'all not helping me. Experience spiritual identity. You begin to live from your true identity when you experience God. Peter started out as a guy in today's terms that we would consider simple, but yet he was impulsive. And this Peter became an apostle for Jesus Christ. It was the same Peter to whom Jesus says, you are Peter, Petros. And on this rock, Petra, I will build my church. That's identity. It was this Peter who God used to preach in front of thousands, and as a result, 3,000 got saved in that very moment. Towards the end of Peter's life, he pens 1 Peter and 2 Peter. And this is some of the things that comes out of those two books. Peter is saying towards the end of his life, I am a part of God's family, 1 Peter 1. I have peace, 1 Peter 1. I have hope for the future, 1 Peter 1. I live with joy. I have significance, 1 Peter 2. I am a royal priesthood. I can live with confidence. I am strengthened to do difficult things, 1 Peter 4. I am strong, firm, and steadfast, 1 Peter 5. I have access to Christ's divine power, 
first Peter, second Peter one. I live in, I, listen, I could go on and on and you hear what come out of Peter? Identity. There is a new identity when you experience God, but something else you experience. Somebody say power. You experience spiritual power when you experience God. Now unto him who is able to do above and beyond all we could ask or think according to the power that works in us. Ephesians 3.20. When you are experiencing God, you begin to experience his power at work in you. When we partner with God's activities, power is on the other side of, that, of those activities. I don't have time, but I got to read this. Acts 3, 1. Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful. He would ask alms of those entering the table, um, temple, excuse me, who seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms and fixed his eyes on him. With John, Peter said, look at us. So he gave them his attention expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, silver and gold. We're talking about power. We're talking about when you experience God, you experience power. Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he leaped up, stood and walked, entered into the building, walking, leaping and praising God. This didn't mean that Peter was the source of the healing. It was God's power that healed this man. But that power was at work in Peter. When we start to walk in experiencing God, we will experience his power. Somebody say, move on. Y'all don't want me to move on? We experience spiritual transformation. When I'm experiencing God, my life is being transformed from the inside out. How I think changes. How I perceive changes. My desires begin to align with God's desires. No one has to come and tell me how to dress. No one has to come and tell me how to do this and how to do that. No, the Holy Spirit is at work on the inside of me. I remember being in that prison cell. There was no pastors. There were no churches. But I had the Holy Spirit in that cell with me, teaching me, leading me, guiding me, sanctifying me from the inside out. You will experience transformation. Transformation into what? The image of God, the image of Christ. These are the results of experiencing God. I don't find anyone in the New Testament Gospels that experienced God, truly experienced Christ, and wasn't changed. Except for, okay, Judas, but he was among them, but not of them. Right? He, 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 you know, that's a whole different sermon, but experiencing God will alter your entire life. So how do I actually experience God in my life? How do I experience God? Whew. Listen, God help us get through this. By faith. By faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Hebrews eleven six. An encounter with God. Listen, church. It requires faith. I'm not talking about you know, people have faith in all sorts of things today. They put faith in money. They put faith in their job, their careers. They put, they put faith in, in people. Faith in God is, is who is working, who's faithful. The Holy Spirit precisely at work on the inside of someone. But faith that I speak about is being simply confident in God and what he says. The opposite of faith is by living by what we can see, what we can understand, what we can handle. Listen, I think that we have so many Christians and we're living carnal lives. We're living according to our five senses. But there's a sixth sense. And that sense is faith. It's not tied to this, the natural elements of this world. 
We operate in that realm by faith. No wonder Jesus kept looking at his disciples saying, how long must I be with you? You're still thinking carnal. You're not thinking on the, the level that I've been teaching you and showing you. God invitations are things you can't do on your own. It's going to require faith. God wants to demonstrate to the world his strength, his provision, his kindness in his nature so that all may know that he is, but it will require faith in you to partner with God. He's asking us to participate when he desires to do what he desires to do through us. Whatever he accomplishes in us and through us must be activated by faith. When God lets you know what he wants to do through you, what you believe about him will determine what you do. Listen, listen, listen. When God lets you know what he wants, you to, wants, wants to do in you and through you, what you believe about him will determine how you respond. Remember David and Goliath? David's brothers were on God's army. They were the soldiers of the children of Israel. David was not on that army. But yet David shows up. Not fearful. While his soldier brothers were scared of Goliath. They were on God's army, but they didn't know the God of the army. David had a relationship with the God of the army that they were on. So David didn't see Goliath as a giant. He saw him as an opportunity to show God's glory, to show God's power, to show God's might. Faith will activate the God experiences in our lives. And that is exactly that what we saw with David and Goliath. All right, so you need faith. What else do you need to experience God? You're going to need obedience. Man, people struggle with this. The, the, the main thing now is God knows my heart. Yeah, he said it's desperately wicked. We need obedience. This is the crux of the matter. Because I want to do my way. I want to go my way. God understands me. He just wants me to be happy. No, he wants you to be holy. Yeah. It's not about your comfort. It's about your righteousness. Am I talking to somebody in here today? It's about your righteousness. Jesus replied, John 14, 23, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. James 1.23. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. I promise you I didn't make that up. That's actually in the Bible. That's what it says. In the Bible, people always knew that God had spoken. The question was, what are you going to do about it? How they were going to respond to it. If we're going to experience God, it's not just about you believing him. It's about you obeying him. Jesus didn't just merely say, um, come and believe me. He said, no, come and follow me. He doesn't speak to be heard. He speaks to be obeyed. That is Jesus. He told his disciples to follow him. We cannot stay in our fishing boats of life and go with Jesus at the same time. Something's got to give. I don't have time, but it's okay. Listen, I'm talking about obedience. I think out of everything that I've learned in my Christian walk, this one right here is one I've had to just wrestle. I keep having to put myself on the altar. I keep having to, to die to self. So that, you, let me tell you why we obey God. When someone asked me, well, why did you leave? God told me to leave a job and I didn't have another job and all that other stuff. And, and I remember the woman who, who was my supervisor at the time, they had closed down that particular hotel that I had left. And she wanted to know, how did I know? How did I know to leave? I said, well, God told me. She says, well, how, how do you just listen to God like that? 
Let me, let me tell you something. You know why we obey God? Because we love him. I don't obey because I'm afraid. I obey because of fear. That's religion. I obey because of relationship. Because I love him. And I desire to please him. So when people are saying, I just can't obey him. Your issue is not obedience, it's love. That's the issue. You don't have a love relationship with him yet. You come to church, you do the motions, you even read the scripture, but you don't love him. Because he says, those who love me will obey me. I didn't make it up. Okay, listen. Huh, look at this time just winding down on me. That's wonderful. Listen, but y'all didn't tell me to move on, so I'm going to tell the story. <laughs> tell the story. Listen, the online, they don't even know what's happening in this room right now. Um, listen, so I remember I was going, I was on my way. I, 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 like, I don't know why I keep looking over this side. I just keep drawing to this side. Could be Sasha. So listen, I'm, I'm on my way. Let me, I, I'll come to y'all for a second. So I'm on my way, right? I'm going to pick up my mother-in-law. We're talking about obedience. I'm going to pick up my mother-in-law from the Fort Lauderdale airport. I'm driving down McNabb, going east. As I'm approaching 31st, the Lord says, this is on a Saturday afternoon. The Lord says to me, go stop by the church, CLC. And I said, no, I have no reason to go by the church. Like, why would I just pick up and go? There's no one at the church. There's no, listen, obedience has got to overthrow your logic and your convenience. So I'm driving, I'm, and I'm having this conversation in the car with God. Like, I have no reason to go to the church, God. I, I, I got to go pick up my mother-in-law. I don't want her waiting at the airport. I'm giving God all these excuses. And God keeps nudging me, go to the church. I was like, okay, when I go pick her up, on my, <laughs> on my way back, I'll stop at the church, God. Okay, I'm being obedient. Delayed obedience is disobedience. So I'm driving and the Lord kept telling me, go to the church. And I said, okay, no, no. So here's what God does. I'm driving. I'm about, you know, you got to turn on 31st. So I said, I'll go when I come back, when I'm coming back from the airport. The light turns red right at 31st. I'm like, really, God? So I turn and drive to the church. I, I pull up here. It's empty. Like, why did you want me to come here? There's no one here. And I feel the now just drive around the back. There's no one here. I'm driving around the back of the church. And I see some vendors doing some work, some, some work. This is several years ago. And I'm like, okay, so no big deal. So I'm driving around about to exit through the east exit over here. And I saw one of the gentlemen sitting on the floor. No big deal. So God says, ask him how he's doing. So I'm like, how you doing? <laughs> he looks up at me. He walks over to my car. And he said, I'm not doing good. So what's going on? So my family's in shambles. And I'm about to lose my wife. I said, no, you're not. Because God sent me here. And if God does something, he's a purposeful God. He just doesn't do things for happenstance. There's purpose behind what he does. So I got out and I began to, I began to pray for him. And I began to declare restoration over his family, over his marriage. This guy's crying. We're in the parking lot. And we just going at it at prayer. Today, this happened several years ago. They're still married today. Right? They come to CLC. Listen, obedience is the crux of the matter. I just want to know, can God upset your Saturday? Does he have permission to intervene, to invade your plans. Have you given him permission to overthrow your agenda? I'm talking about obedience. And when you follow God and you want to experience God, you're going to have to throw off your will for his. Obedience is the crux of the matter. When God speaks, our choice is between adjusting to him or keeping to our own agenda. We must align with God. There is no ifs, ands, or buts about it. We say that God is Lord and that he can interrupt us at any time. We just don't expect him to do it. 
We don't expect him to interrupt our time. You will never be satisfied with just knowing about God. He is meant to be experienced. In those moments when he's saying, go on 31st, go to that church, and it makes absolutely no sense, but you choose to obey anyway. It's the nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. I love the story of Moses at the burning bush, Exodus 3 and 4. God initiates a relationship with Moses by speaking through a bush that burned yet not consumed. Then Moses asked the question, I'm going to go to Pharaoh. But who should I say sent me? And God says, tell them I am that I am has sent you. Moses go with that and goes before Pharaoh and he experiences the great I am before Pharaoh. Everyone can experience God. Everyone. We can experience more of his presence, more of his voice, more of his power, more of his direction. The key is obedience. you hate that part and the thing is God doesn't force obedience he invites you to obey him you don't have to you must choose to and when you choose to that's when you experience God okay I gotta keep going Lord help us by expectancy you experience God by expectancy you gotta expect him church In the morning, I lay my request before you and wait in expectation. I watch for you. Psalm 5.3. We learn to be expecting by being attentive to our surroundings and anticipating God's activity. When you're expecting, you become attentive. God, what do you want to do? What are you up to? I could tell y'all stories of me just allowing myself to be inconvenienced for God. And what I thought I was losing, what I thought I was giving up, what I experienced when I obeyed was far greater than the inconvenience. We got to be expected. I don't even have time to go into this story. We got to be expecting, God, guys. I remember when I was in, um, I said, I don't got time and I still go. (laughs) Listen. I remember when I was, um, we got to be expectant in every season. You know what robs us? When we're in a disgruntled season. I'm upset, I'm angry, I have unforgiveness, I'm bitter about something. Jonah almost missed God because he wanted vengeance against Nineveh and not deliverance for Nineveh. We got to be careful about our biases, our prejudices, because it can rob us of a God experience. I remember I'm, I'm, I'm in the prison and I got over the fact that I wasn't getting out. Okay, you're gonna be here, girl. You're gonna be here. Just, just, just deal with the fact you got these five years, deal with it. And I'm serving the Lord and I'm like, okay, God, I'm here. What, 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 what do you wanna do with me? Let me tell you, be expectant because opportunity will come no matter what season you're in and no matter where you are. And so I started hearing stories about a lot of the women in the prison didn't have high school diplomas. So I was like, man, okay. So I go to the education lady and I says, hey, I hear a lot of the women in this prison, they don't have a high school diploma. How can I help? She said, do you have a college education? I said, I do. She said, okay, well, you can teach a GED. I said, no, 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 no. That's not what I was thinking. I, like, I'm not a teacher. She said, well, that's the need. Can, can, can you help? So I was like, well, I've never taught before. She said, don't worry about it. So I started teaching these ladies, listen, oh gosh, it's not about you. It's about what God wants to do through you. I started, te- y'all, y'all with me? Y'all with me? I started teaching this GED classes, right? Going great. I mean, all of them passed. I don't know of anyone who failed during the time, right? So God is doing his work. See, because God has an activity for the women. He wants to do something for the women, right? You think God is not up to, he's always up to something. He's up to something in the prisons. He's up to something in Zimbabwe. He's up to something in, in Israel. He's up to something in the United States. Yes, in the United, God is not a stagnant God. He's always up to something. We just got to be attentive to his activity. We have to be expecting for God to move. 
so I'm, I'm doing this class. At the end of the class, the ladies will come and talk to me. And, and it will always lead to their personal stuff that they were going through. And so I was able to minister to them. Out of that came the first Bible study that I will begin to teach. These women from the class became the first people in my Bible study. So I will be teaching the Bible study. So one thing led to another. During the Bible study, I found out that these women, a lot of them in the, in the, in the prisons that weren't in the Bible study, they were struggling because they were moms behind bars. And I felt the nudge. I felt the tug that, okay, what can I do to help these moms behind bars? They're not coming into the Bible study. I can't see them. So, and then God places on my heart, start a newsletter. Well, I've never really written before. God is not looking for your skills. He's looking for your availability. Like, I, I'm, I'm doing something over here, Noah. You want to build a boat? I've never built a boat, God. I didn't ask you about you. It's what I want to do through you. See, we look at our hands. We look at our insufficiencies, our inadequacies, and we think God can't do it. But he uses ordinary people to do what? Extraordinary things. And so I started a newsletter, Moms Behind Bars, to encourage women. That newsletter is still going to this very day. Listen, God desires to use us, to put his power inside of us and use us for something better, greater. But we got to be available. We got to be expectant. And we got to partner with what God... You know what I didn't realize? When I was teaching the Bible study... When I was teaching the, the class, the GED class, it was setting me up to teach the Bible study. In the Bible study, when I heard about the women, I started writing the newsletter. It set me up to write my first book. Everything, even though it's not for you, it will impact you. It will boomerang and come right back to you. Okay, what are the hindrances to experiencing God? What are the hindrances? We talked about what does experiencing God mean? What are the benefits, the results? Okay, so what are the hindrances to experiencing God? Uh, my will. My will. Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Who said that? Jesus. Luke twenty-two forty-two. One of Jesus' greatest victories was the victory in the Garden of Gethsemane. Where he wrestles with the Father over the will the will of the cross no human being will ever understand what that wrestle was like for Jesus why he's seeing this cup well what cup the cup of the sins of humanity he had to drink take into his body and he's in that garden. It's, it's, it's so um, 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 overwhelming that the Bible says that it looks like sweat that was like blood was going from. They, they asked scientists and medical doctors, how can that be? They said the stress level can be so high that it bursts the vein, the capillary gland in your body. And it starts to ooze blood. This is the agony. And Jesus is wrestling with the Father because he knows what is before him. And he says, nevertheless, oh my gosh, not my will, God. Some of you are wrestling with God. And he said, if you will, listen, you will never give God his will or align with God's will until you abandon yours. You must abandon your will to take God's will. We will all have a choice to surrender our will. All of us will have a choice. We will not say yes to God's will until we release our own. Listen, saying yes to God will cost you. Can I just say that? It's going to cost you. What? It's going to cost you your time, perhaps your money, your convenience, your comfort. But saying no will cost you far greater. It will cost you far greater. Jonah almost said no. And it would have forfeit the greatest revival in all of history. There is no place in history where a man preaches one sentence an entire city gets saved at the moment. I mean, I've researched it. None. He almost forfeit that. 
saying no to God. I don't know what you're wrestling with, church, online. I don't, I don't, I don't know what you're, what you're struggling with. While saying yes will cost you something, yeah? Saying no will cost you so much more. The rich man... Okay, wait, wait, no. I'm not even going to go into him yet. My will, okay? My comfort. We love our comfort, especially in the United States of America. Western civilization, the American dream has become the Christian dream. Give me a house, family, money, comfort. And we call that Christian success. And God says, no, it's not. That is not what Christian success is. So when God comes to invite you to his activity, because of your comfort, you shut the door on God. Because God, I don't want you to disrupt my life. I got my house. I got my, my convenience, God. You, you, I could go to church. You, I'll give you that. Oh, you want me to wake up a little early? I, I read some scriptures. I'll give you that. And God says, if I don't have all of you, then I don't have none of you. I surrender all. All to thee. Is somebody hearing me? Listen. We are called to be disciples. You know what disciples do? They follow the teacher. What was the teacher's example? Not my will. Jesus didn't surrender a piece of him. He surrendered all. God asks us to surrender all. The rich young ruler came to Jesus and he boasted to him. Of all the commandments he kept. He was proud. Jesus looked at him and said, this one thing you lack. Sell what you have. Give it to the poor and follow me. This rich young man was ready to follow Jesus, but not at the expense of his comfort. He held on to the comfort and Jesus knew that his idol was his possession. For others, it's relationship, safety, prestige. Jesus pointed it out. Nowhere in scripture, this guy left Jesus. Nowhere in scripture does it say he ever came back. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his very soul? Hear me. Nothing wrong with possessions. But the comfort of this man's possession had become his idol. Nowhere see that he came back to Jesus okay control my control do not be anxious for your life that you will eat or drink about your body what you put on we're talking about hindrances to experiencing God is life not more than food in the body more than clothing Matthew 6 25 controlling stems from a lack of trust that's why we have control issues we believe that our plans are better than God's right that if God would just get with my program and follow my agenda, everything will be just fine. The word translated trust in the Bible means a bold, confident, sure security or action based on that security. Trust is not the same as faith. Rather, trusting is what we do because we have faith. We struggle with trusting that God knows best for me and the timing he has for me. We see this with Abraham and Sarah. God was taking too long according to them they didn't trust in God's timing they thought their timing was better so Isaac was taking too long to come and so Sarah gives her concubine Hagar and they birthed Ishmael because they were impulsive and they took matters out in their control and they almost lost the very promise they were waiting for control will be what disrupts God activity in our lives we must relinquish our control to God gotta go gotta keep going and then finally my fears my fears 
Fear is one of the enemy's most popular weapon that he will use against us. Worry, anxiety, fear. It can overwhelm us to the point that it paralyzes us from being um, um, in, in responding to God's invitation. What do we have fear of? Wars, conflicts, violence, crime, natural desirous, um, disasters, virus, economic uncertainty, unemployment, disease, death, fear for our children's future. We fear for our families. We fear for our financial stability. We fear for our safety and the list goes on but the more we experience God we experience his love and what does the scripture says perfect love cast out all fear what does that mean well if I know God loves me then his presence is with me no matter what's going on in the world his assurance is with me his protection his strength his comfort his guidance his power is with me that I can face anything. This world doesn't have any power over me because I serve the one that is all-powerful, right? But I have to abide in that love on a daily basis. What does he tell me? Be anxious for nothing, Nadine. Pray about everything, right? He tells me to cast my cares upon him. Why? Because he cares for me. He says that we must trust in him in his all-sufficient power that he's able to keep me from falling. When you pass through the waters, Isaiah 43, 2 says, what? It doesn't say I won't pass through the waters, but when I do, I will be with you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. Isaiah 41, 13 says, for I am the Lord your God who takes hold of your hand and says to you, do not fear. I will help you. Do not be afraid. For I myself will help you, declares the Lord. I am your redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. And I know the fearful thoughts come. I have them too. What do we have to do? We need to take fearful thoughts captive and cast them out by the words of truth. We replace the lie with the truth, soaking them in over and over, praying them over ourselves, praying them over our family, praying them over our children, praying them over our circumstances until the faith of the truth becomes more familiar than the fear. And so that's love casting out fear. This is not in the outline. You know, church, I don't, I, don't, I don't have it all right. Sometimes I have fear. Sometimes I allow my will to get in the way. I'm a control person. Whew, God help me. I don't like flying. I don't like flying. And you know what the real issue is? Control. If I could be in the cockpit, sitting next to the pilot telling him, turn left, Go right, go down, another plane is coming, hold up. But because I can't see what's going, I feel the turbulence. What's, what's he doing? He don't know what he's doing. But I'll drive, they tell my husband says, babe, do you know there's more accidents in driving than there's flying? Yeah, but I'm behind the steering wheel. I could turn, get out the way, beat my horn. I don't hear horns up in the sky. I've had to learn my control I would be asked to speak in all these different states and I wouldn't go guess why I didn't want to fly fear was paralyzing me from stepping into God's purpose for my life but I had to dwell under the shadow of the almighty I had to come under the shadow of his wings and know that God loved for me he would keep me from falling. My feet will not dash against the stone. Isn't that what he says? I'm going to leave you with this. I know, guys. Come on. I know. Six things I just want us to cultivate. I'm just going to say them real quick, okay? You've got to be willing and open. Just remember that. I want us to go out this week, this month, the rest of our life willing and open, okay, God? I know this is a difficult season, but what do you want to do? Use me in the season. Seasons of difficulty does not mean that God doesn't want to move. So I'm in this season, show up in my life. Show up and do whatever it is that you want to do. I don't want to be closed off from your opportunities in my life, God. 
So I'm giving you the power. I'm giving you permission to move in my life. I'm willing and I'm open. One, two, got to spend time in God's word. We got to, we can't say that we want to know God more and not spend time with him. In the word of God, you see his character. You see his ways. You start seeing how he moved in different individuals' lives. The other day, God said to me two words. And I'm just telling you, this is private, but I'm sharing it with you. He told me two things. I was just waking up out of a sleep, and I heard the voice of the Lord in my inner spirit. And he said, Nadine, two things. Bible, prayer. Bible, prayer cultivate that stronger in your life spend time the scriptures getting to know me more my ways my character you are not going to function in power and authority outside of his word you won't even pray effective prayer if you're not praying according to the word of God spending time in God's word and I just said it's spending time in prayer pay attention pay attention communicate God communicates with his people through signs visions divine interactions dreams he's looking to communicate with us on a daily basis but we must be attentive I was praying about something one day and I was crying going down commercial and I'm just praying about it praying about it and I'm going down commercial, getting going past the, the um, overpass, whatever that thing is called. What is it called? Not the 95, but the turnpike. Yes, hallelujah, Jesus. And I'm driving, and this guy, this, this car keeps cutting in front of me, cutting in front of me, and I'm praying. I keep moving from, well, why is this person keep cutting in front of me? And I'm, I'm already anxious, I'm upset, and I'm praying about God. And it's something that said, just pay attention to his bumper. The answer to my prayer was a sticker on his bumper. today God is active all around but we miss him because we're not attentive he's wanting to speak to you in various ways but we must be attentive and then we got to trust we got to trust we got to trust we got to trust God trust in him trust that he's all-knowing trust that he's all-seeing trust that he has the bigger picture in mind perhaps some of you have missed some invitations from God Due to fear, your will, your comfort, your control, you've missed some invitations. you miss missed some, some God activities in your life. And those God invitations are, are supposed to meant to align you with purpose, but you missed them. And now you're looking back, you're like, Pastor Nadine, I missed some stuff. I could look back now and I could see where I missed God. You're here. Purpose is here. In between are God invitations leading you into purpose. You miss those God invitations. So it robbed you and it's robbing you of your divine purpose. The prayer is God. Because you realize I'm not where I should be. There's this hold over my life. There's a stagnancy. There's a delay over my life when it comes to God I should be further along the journey but I've been stagnant fear control my will all of this has robbed me and so the prayer for you is God accelerate me to where I should be now and God says that's fine but here's the thing there's some assignments that you need so that you can handle where you are here so the prayer is God reroute the assignments send them back my way I'm attentive now I'm willing I'm open now I'm willing to partner is somebody hearing this I'm willing to take your invitations now and so we've got to allow God to bring those things back into our lives so that we can be operating and experiencing God in greater ways and greater measures. Can somebody say amen? Listen, stand to your feet all around this place. Stand to your feet. Lord, 
we need to be experiencing you in great and mighty ways. It's not just knowing about you, God. We are meant to experience you. So, Lord, in the mighty name of Jesus, realign my faith and my trust in you, God. I surrender my will to you. Help me to be attentive and aware of the God activities in my life. Lord, show me the invitations that you have for me. Show me the activities that you want me to, to partner with and allow my, me to experience you in great and mighty ways. Lord, forgive me when I've allowed my will, my control, my fears to rob me of God experiences in my life. Lord, I don't want to be stagnant anymore. I don't want to live in a delay anymore. I want to move on with the destiny moments in my life. I want to move on with the purposes that you have for my life. So Lord, I surrender my will. Come on, church. I surrender my will to you. And I say, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Lord, I'm looking even this week. Show me, Lord. Help me to be attentive, Lord, to the God assignments, to the God invitations. Lord, I'm willing to say, yes, I will go. I'm willing to partner with you. I'm willing to go where you lead me. Go where you guide me. I'm not living for myself anymore. Today, I make a decision that my life is yours. I put my life in your hands. I put my desires in your hands. I put my will in your hands. Lord, I say, let thine will be done in my life and through my life. Can somebody say amen? Amen. If this ministry is making an impact in your life, why not help us make an impact on the lives of others by partnering with us today? You can give through our CLC app or at clcftl.org forward slash give. Thank you for listening and remember to subscribe for more inspiring messages like this. Now go and be messengers of hope.